So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Welcome back to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast. Uh, Toby and Leo joining me as always, and we've still got a bit of a international flavour today with Toby in the UK, me in Japan, and uh, Leo back in Australia representing the home soil as well. But we'll jump straight into it, lads. And we had a title decided over the weekend, the Super W final, New South Wales. They took one over Queensland two years in a row, back-to-back, and it was a low-scoring game, only 8-5. to five. Yeah, unfortunately, the Queenslanders couldn't couldn't steal one back and and get one for themselves. And the New South Wales women have they've only had to score eight points to to get this one. Uh, big defensive grind, not the free flowing high point scoring games we saw in the regular season. But I guess the best two teams know how to knuckle down and keep each other out. Yeah, definitely a bit of a different uh, look to this one compared to what these teams did to some of the lower ranked teams in this competition. But good to see that they. They can put up that sort of sturdy defense that we'd want to see. But impressive from the Waratahs to really get this one at the end. Uh, Queensland looked like they were on top, at least for the first half, but just really solidly kept attacking and pushing the Queensland in the second half, and Tars got it done in the end. Other news that we had a few shock player announcements. Israel Dag retires from Super Rugby over last week as well. Yeah, it was. It's sad to see him go out like this, given he's he's retiring due to an injury, and he's worked so hard to actually try and get back on the park for the Crusaders, and it just wasn't to be. So, he's made that call. You can still see he's in and around the team, running the water and supporting the boys. So, you know, you wouldn't be surprised to see him pop up and play a pretty key role in that organisation in in some way. So, you know, we wish him well, and it was a really good career by him, and always an electric player, an interesting guy to watch. So. Yeah, I'll echo that. Um, great player to watch, always exciting, coming out of the back, open open field and counter-attacking player, uh, and always sort of brought a, a fair bit of uh, attitude and, and um, you know, would Great. really stir up the opposition. Mm. And, and, yeah, it's not a showy player, like just, just a real real tough competitor and, you know, obviously loved the contest. So good luck to him in his uh, life beyond rugby as a player. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure people like Havillian, Will Jordan, those youngsters at the back for the Crusaders would love having him around as a bit of a mentor in any case. Other news, uh, unfortunately, my emissary to try and get Japanese rugby to refund the Sunwolves is not, not looking like it's going to get through. So, uh, unfortunately, I'm doing my best, boys, but I, I don't think they're going to let me through. Um, but we should get into the players of the round and what a round it was this weekend. Lots of upsets, lots of key performances, but... Uh, Toby, why don't we start with you? Who was your player of the round? Um, couldn't go past Artie Severe in what was a pretty amazing game of rugby between the Hurricanes and the Highlanders, you know, entertaining throughout the 80. And Artie really stood up again in this game. He he seems to have everything covered. He's on ball. He's running in, you know, midfield, stepping. He's got the speed. He scored two tries in this one. And it's hard for me to think in New Zealand's history a more dynamic and exciting number seven that they've had. So... He's riding good form, and I think Sam Kane, if, even if he's back from injury, is going to struggle to get that number seven. 
Yeah, couldn't agree more. He was definitely very impactful on that game and seeing him run 60 metres and outpace most of the Highlanders. Uh, very impressive showing. Leo, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to pick Marnonu this week. So we were a bit uncertain whether Marnonu really had uh, what it takes to play Super Rugby at the at the highest level. He looked a bit off uh, in this in this season for the Blues, but I think the weekend just goes to show that he, he's still got something to offer. He played out of his skin. He assisted a couple of tries. He did get one for himself. Uh, you know, these these great players come back to Super Rugby. Obviously, great for development. And, and mentoring of other players, but every now and then they they give you a glimpse of what made them such a renowned household name type player. And and Nonu was really on son on the weekend, and obviously got them through to a victory over the Waratahs. Yeah, he definitely was turning back the clock on the weekend. Um, seems we haven't got any Australian players for Player of the Round this week because mine's a young guy from the Haguaras. Let's make sure I get his first name right. Uh, Domingo Miotti, who played his debut off the bench, only came on for the last eight minutes of the game, but really lifted the Haguaras to a win over the Bulls. And he scored two tries, kicked a conversion himself. And he's a young guy, he's 22 years old, but has played for Argentina in the under-20s. And maybe we've found a bit of a replacement, someone to spark the Haguaras back into relevance in 2019. But let's get into all the games and we'll, we'll get to talk about those players in a little bit more depth. But we'll start on uh, Friday night and the Highlanders were hosting the Hurricanes. And Hurricanes taking this one 31-28, but it was a bit of a comeback. They needed the showing of those guys like Hardy Sevilla. And the Highlanders, feeling a bit unsorry for them losing this one. But they're slumping down the, the leaderboard in the New Zealand Conference, only two wins. Yeah, disappointing for them, definitely. They, they played a really strong game, uh, a really good team effort. A lot of players uh, stood up for them. I thought Kane Hammington was excellent. Shannon Frizzell, again, excellent. And Luke Whitelock was really prominent, carrying, carrying well. Uh, they also looked like they got a bit of a spark back when they got Rob Thompson off the bench. He came on a bit earlier due to an injury. Um, they, they just put in a really solid performance. They were dominating scrums, rucks, lineouts, and the Hurricanes were... I guess they had to lift and they did a great job covering when, when the Highlanders were making breaks. And off the back of guys like Artie Sevier and Ben Lamb, just just broke the hurricane spirit somehow. I, I didn't expect it to happen. I really thought this was going to be the home team victory. Yeah, if anything, I think the Highlanders didn't outplay the Hurricanes for the majority of this game, but the Hurricanes just performed at key moments. And, you know, I, I don't think the Highlanders should be too, you know, down by that performance at all. I think they're unlucky and I think they've still got a lot to give. It's just whether they can um, overcome some of the injury worries they've had. Um, I think Rob Thompson coming back to 13 is a good thing for them so he can form that combination with Tay Walden. Um, and Marty Banks seems to be out as well. So they, can, they might have to go back to Josh Uwani and, you know, they've still got a lot of talent there. They didn't have Aaron Smith in this one and I think that, you know, although that Hamilton played a good game, I think that Aaron Smith may have given that them that extra edge um, and they may have been able to win this one with him there um, but yeah I think the Highlanders still can be positive but like you say there's a very small margin for error in this New Zealand conference yeah and I think that's really gonna pretty much rule them out of the playoffs at this stage they got into the playoffs even third in their conference with 10 wins and with only two wins and only nine games to go it's very unlikely they're going to pull out eight of the next nine so I think that's almost sort of taking them out of the race a little bit here. 
But we'll move on and on to Queensland on Friday night and the Reds taking down the Stormers. Stormers a little bit underpowered, a few forwards missing from them, Eben Elizabeth and Peter Steftetoit. But the Reds took this one and it was a nil all first half, but the Reds just kept at it and eventually broke through, winning one twenty four to twelve. Yeah, another home team with a really strong forwards performance. Again, lineouts and, and scrums very competitive. They kept their discipline and they, they made the most of the Stormers ill discipline. And with Khaleesi off the field, they managed to get 14 points up pretty quickly. Uh, you could see Khaleesi was fuming there on the bench. Uh, when he came back on, the Stormers managed to get a try back. And guys like Damien Williams are playing really well out of the backfield. Uh, but still, still discipline issues. And uh, I think you know a couple of key players for the Reds. Tate McDermott, really great game from him, helped leading the leading the troops around. And just those forwards, like guys like uh, Lucan uh, Salakailoto, just another strong like involved performance from him all around the park. He was carrying, you know, he'd carry a phase. They'd have another phase. He's there again. He'd, I think he carried three times in six phases at one point there, and just eager for the work and and getting across the advantage line, giving the Reds the front football. Yeah, do we think that um, Taniella coming off the bench now, do you think he's starting to pick up his performances? I thought I saw a couple of runs there that maybe show that he's coming back into form, but he must take it pretty hard being put on the bench. Yeah, well, he's definitely not been doing enough, and the South African Smith boys um, really stood up against their former compatriots as well, JP Smith previously playing for the Stormers. And... I think he does need a few more games and whether it is because maybe his fitness isn't quite up to it. So it's in those 20 minutes that he can come on and actually do the damage that we know that he can do. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's a few guys in that boat. I think that um, KB is a similar thing. They didn't get a full off-season or full pre-season because of Wallaby's commitments. And I think that's actually hurt them coming into this season. Whereas some guys that weren't involved in that Wallaby setup look really fit raring to go and you know guys like Taniella maybe think look I've I've had a really good year last year and maybe he's been a little bit complacent coming into this season what do you think of uh Stefan Naivalu at 13 in this game I mean he set up uh the first try for Karevi we know he has played there in a limited stage for the Wallabies at points does that open him up as maybe more chance of selection for the Wallabies if anything it, it's it's showing his versatility which is never a bad thing uh, I don't think I don't think he's in a position to challenge for the uh, the Wallabies thirteen. Um, he he, I, I like the fact that he's getting a bit more ball. I feel like when he's been out on the wing and, and obviously had to go back to the wing uh, early in this match or earlier than planned, and we, we sort of lost sight of him for a while, which is unfortunate because he is a strong ball runner. Um, maybe maybe needs to pass a bit earlier. I was a bit concerned that Jack Hardy was starving to death out on the wing in most of that game. So many opportunities where people needed just throw that last pass and the, the kid could have got a try or two on debut. Um, but yeah, Sefa, look, more, more ball for him. So at 13, if he needs to cover that, I'd, I'd probably rather the combination of uh, Karevi and Sefa than when they bring Duncan Power in and push Karevi out for sure. Yeah, Power has been struggling and I think that's pretty clear at the moment. If you're putting Naivalu in at 13, I mean, he has spent some time there before, but... You know, he's. You can see he's not quite a thirteen. He still is used to holding onto that ball as a winger, and you know he does need to perform. There's guys like Corabidi as well that do need to perform. Um, the wing spot for the Wallabies is, you know, there's very limited opportunities there. And if say Falau gets pushed to the wing for the Wallabies, then you know there's only maybe one spot going. So 
you know, it's good to see Naivalo get his hands on the ball. I think we can all agree that he does need to do that more. And the Stormers, where do you think they end up in the South African Conference? Because they've they've put in pretty good showings over the last three games, um, but still not getting really any of the points. There's still maybe a chance to go back to South Africa and cause them upset, but do you think they're just bottom of the rung, or do you think they can get up? I think they've definitely got opportunity now, because aside from their next match when they, they head down to visit the Rebels, which is not a nice way to finish your tour, Rebels in a, in a strong vein of form at the moment, the, the Stormers, if they can consolidate uh, what they've um, done overseas, the good parts, and, and put in some strong showings back in South Africa, they're the ones that I would expect to upset some of the other teams who we've probably got you know, more tickets on. And the way they've played, they, they haven't looked out of matches. They've had some uh, tough periods there, particularly losing players and being under uh, undermanned on the field. They've stayed in games. like They're not getting blown out, so... They're definitely a competitive team, and they'll be even better in, in South Africa against their countrymen. Yeah, I think they lack a little bit of killer punch, killer instinct there, but they do plot along, and they're always in the contest. So with the way that the South African conference is at the moment, with the parity, you know, you've seen each team in that conference kind of hit their straps and then fall down a little bit. So I think that a lot of these teams still have a chance to make the playoffs because there's been such inconsistency within that conference. And I think Willem Sir at fullback gives the, the Stormers another uh, angle that they didn't have uh, last year. That well, When Wilmser was playing at 10, he was he was interesting and good, but he definitely was overshadowed by the older 10s and the other teams. At 15, he looks like a much more dangerous prospect. Mm. Speaking of the confusion in the South African Conference, the next game was the Sharks versus the Lions, and out of Joburg. But the Sharks just absolutely dominated, dominated this game from start to finish. 42 to 5, 7 tries to 1. And the Sharks had Kerwin Bosch coming back into form. He'd been playing off the bench for the last couple of weeks, but starting this one again at fullback, and he was electric in this one, scoring uh, a couple of tries, setting up a few others, and really leading the Sharks around. Yeah, and speaking of killer instinct, that Sharks backline has plenty of it. They're very, very dangerous, and when they're on, on, their, on their game on a given day, you know, they're very hard to stop. Whereas the Lions, again, seem a little bit lackluster. Um, they've really lost some of the key combinations they've had before. And I don't know, I, I'm not sure if the if it's not the Lions that are going to be under threat at falling down that conference to the bottom because, you know, the Stormers still have some key guys there. I think the Sharks are hitting their straps again and the Bulls, we know, do have pretty strong form when they've got all their players. But, yeah, look, the Sharks really impressive this one and this is what we've wanted to see from them for a while. The Lions had real issues with their discipline and like all the all the possession and territory was in favour of the Sharks as a result. So um, I guess in terms of what they've got, they, they've still got a lot of uh, opportunity because it's so tied up in this South African conference, but it starts with discipline. Like you can't afford to be giving away the penalties in the territory and setting up the opposition as often. So if they control that, the number of opportunities for the good teams will reduce and, and they'll actually get a chance to throw the ball around and, and, and make some attack. But, yeah, between missed tackles and penalties in this game, they, they really let themselves down. Yeah, and it doesn't get easy for the Lions. They're headed off on their overseas tour uh, next week, heading down to Canberra to face a Brumbies team. So, yeah, if they have a tough tour, you could easily see them dropping dropping off um, right out of the playoff race. And we'll go on to the next game, and that was the Crusaders taking on the Brumbies. And 
it was always a tough ask for the Brumbies heading over to Christchurch, uh, and I don't think many expected too much. But look, the halftime score was 7-0 to the Brumbies. They really held in there early, but in the end they couldn't stop a Crusaders team that really seems to be starting to roll on here and a couple of yellow cards, a couple of quick tries to Will Jordan, who continues to excite this season. And yeah, the Crusaders took this one away uh, from the Brumbies, 36-14. It definitely took a, a while for the two teams to settle in this match. Like around the first 20 minutes of that first half, it was lots of kicking, lots of sort of trying to pin the opposition down, bit of counter. And, and it came to a point where the Crusaders were, were getting pinned down in their 22 and on their line and, and you see the class of that team. They hold out the Brumbies with a strong forward base attack. To get to halftime nil seven, I think the Crusaders would have fancied themselves, yeah, okay, we've we've held them out, we've we've kept them from getting too much momentum. And then unfortunately, just the loose errors between Pulu and Sam Carter, both getting yellows with these loose high tackles, again opens the door for a great team like the Crusaders and they, they make the most of that um, majority of players. So um, Brumbies again, like really impressive performance. They, they I didn't tip them, uh, obviously, I, but I didn't tip them to be anywhere near as close they were at half time. So there, there's some good things there for them to look at. Yeah, I definitely think they need to forget about their second half. There are too many errors in there. They were very inaccurate. But the first half, again, like you say, Leo, they they did really well. You know, holding a Crusaders team to to no points in a, a half of football at home is a pretty remarkable performance in itself. So, you know, it's it's difficult with this one. I, I think the Crusaders never would have been really that worried, and you could see they just came to the game. Um, Brumbies, it's it's really difficult. They, they overperformed probably with the guys that they were resting. So in some ways, you've just got to put this game behind you, I think. And the Crusaders, I think, are back after a bad game against the Waratahs. Now they put two good games together, and it looks like that, um, that juggernaut's going to continue to roll on. Tony Pulu came back up from his fractured cheekbone in this, and despite the yellow card, as Leo mentioned, I think it was his pretty good return to form for him. He showed his pace at the end of the game there with a quick break and a really good offload drawing two defenders to give the ball to Karevi, uh, to Kurunjani, sorry, for, for the try. That was a really good play. Like that, was, that was the dancing feet and the step to, to slip through that gap. And then, as you say, do, making good decisions... Um, that's that's the sort of thing which I think a lot of our young Australian players and even guys like Falau sometimes don't have that vision to to size up what's in the backfield, draw mm. the players, and just make it easy. Like it, you, you look at it in a you know in a training session, and it's just a drill. There's two guys you've got to you know drag your one across, try and pick up the other's attention, throw the ball before contact. Pull is an experienced guy, did the right thing, and I think a lot of our players could learn from that. And actually, he was uh, mentioned during sort of the broadcast. I had Checker on, which we should probably talk about. He gave a few sort of names that he'd been looking at. And um, in this one, despite Falafanga um, not being present in this game, they called him out for to get his rig in order, which I think a few people have been a bit surprised that he went directly on live TV and told the guy he's a bit too fat. Yeah, look, it's good that this wasn't a woman he was talking about because he'd be crucified. But, you know, like... It might be, it's something that Checker knows him well and I think he probably thinks, oh, maybe he's playing well, but he could be better. Um, and it's pushing guys like that that are looking like they're probably going to start for the while. He's pushing them a little bit harder and, and making sure they're not complacent because Hooker is definitely a, a position where 
we need to be strong and at the moment we're not quite there so I think Checker's mindful of that and he just wants to make sure he's in tip-top shape come the rugby championship. It was, pre- it was pretty blunt though, wasn't it? Like, get your rig in order. It's, um, well, it's because when he scores dirty. and they lift up his shirt after he does a few of those mall tries and you can just see his gut hanging out. He <laughs> wants to firm that up a bit. Checker was also talking about a bit of other stuff. He's just recently come back from the UK and talking to these players over there and other than doing a sneaky hour segment on a podcast for in Dublin, he's also highlighted a couple of other players that he was talking about trying to get back in, people like Will Skelton, Nick White, former Wallabies, who he'd like to bring back uh, for the World Cup. I thought that was a really weird comment. Like The guys put it to him, if you didn't have the Giddo rule, who would you be looking at bringing back, uh, trying to evolve in your squad? And, like, I'm not across all the news, but Nick White I haven't heard anything about in ages and with the the stocks we've got particularly the young guys coming through someone like Tate McDermott has been playing so well you'd think that if you if you've got any room for a, a bolter or a development player you'd you'd be making it for someone like Tate McDermott rather than bringing in a Nick White who hasn't been around any of these players or in the system for that long it's it's a, it feels like a bit out of the blue for in a world cup year to be talking about that sort of player I think it actually just speaks to the... There's not that many guys over here at the moment in Europe that are shining through Australian guys, notable names. So I think he's actually reaching for a guy like Nick White. I think Will Skelton's fair enough. I think we could use him. He's been really, really good for Saracen since he's been over here. He's dropped some weight um, and he's been in really good form. So I think equally Nick White has played well over here, but I don't see him as you know someone you'd really be keen to bring back given now you know some of the young guys coming through. Yeah, and Cech also decided to make a bit of reference to this resting policy, though he denied that it was a resting policy, he denied that it was uh, just a copy of what New Zealand do. Um, he actually talked about how he gives these players, when they have a week off, even more work and wants to do even more sort of conditioning stuff with them and uh, just more of just a rotational policy in his mind than actually these players needing extra rest. What is a rotation policy if it's not in aid of giving guys a rest? Like... He, he's not he's not trying to give the the backup fly half of the Reds an extra run by you know resting someone. It's that's not in his best interest. You'd think you want to manage the workload of these guys through the season and and try and keep them fit and strong so they're less prone to injury. I I think a rotation policy is just a, a resting policy by another name. To be fair, I think there was a fair bit of double speak with him. He wasn't really willing to give away too much, and they had to push him to get most answers out of him. Um, we should keep going, though, keep going with this recap. And the next was out of Eden Park. The Blues having the Tars come to town. And the Tars had not won in Eden Park for a long time. And the Blues now on a four-game winning streak after winning this one 30-29. And they dominated early. The Tars fought back but couldn't quite do enough to get the win over in New Zealand. Yeah, look, I think I'm still not happy with the Waratahs. They do look disorganised. They did play quite well through this middle 40, but they started poorly and they finished poorly. And, you know, when you have guys like Staniforth being mentioned the most out of any player on on the field for the Tars, I do feel like there's something probably wrong, even though he did have a pretty outstanding game by his standards. He was very physical. But, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit worried about some of the injuries we have. Guys like Bill not quite firing, coming off the bench, he was okay. But Jake Gordon needs to start. Yeah, he made a almost immediate positive impact scoring off the back of the scrum and just 
he just seems to have a better sort of positive idea of, on outlook on the game, and also you don't have Phipps's kicking to worry about as well. He's more energetic. Like Phipps looked like he was exhausted in those first twenty minutes. He was slow. He wasn't driving his forwards. He wasn't trying to get quick phases. He's happy to let them just get get across the ball, and then he he gets there. And it's like he's making his decision on who he's going to pass to once he's there with the ball secured and ready to pass. Like you need to be you need to be approaching the ruck already with your plan in mind, knowing what the next phase is going to bring, and you know absolutely driving those forwards to get you the ball because the the pace at which they played against a Blues team who were intent on rushing up and, and trying to be really physical in the face of the Waratahs. you got no chance of getting them on the back foot. They're getting set. They're, they're you know able to talk to each other and, and decide who's covering who. Phipps's speed of play was just pathetic and, and obviously he made those other mistakes as well. But the, the key thing for me is just that he's not driving the forwards to getting quick ball, which look at the backline assets you've got, give them quick ball and they should be tearing it up. I think that's a really big problem. He's done that for a number of weeks now as well, Phipps. He has made those, you know, uncharacteristic errors, silly errors, and he does look like he's plodding along. Like, Checker had given Jake Gordon some feedback that he needed his pass to be a bit more, a bit quicker, a bit speedier, and also making his decisions at the ruck more quickly. It doesn't seem like Phipps is doing either of those things well. Um, Gordon's been a lot more consistent this year, and I think... Gibson does need to to get some of his selections in order because Phipps, yeah, look, I think he's had his time. We've got to move on to to, to Gordon. And I think it's going to do Jake Gordon some damage at Wallaby's time if he doesn't get enough game time for the Waratahs. So what do the Waratahs need to fix then? we definitely saying Gordon, you think, needs to come in for Phipps. What else? That's not going to be the only thing. Well, you have to play KB somewhere. I don't think you can sustainably bring him off the bench. I just don't think it makes sense. He needs game time. He needs to get his fitness back. He needs to get some of that, you know, direct running back. He's he's going sideways. Um, I think with that, Foley needs to be more direct as well. He was a little better in this game and put in some good kicks for Falau, but he's still not at the level that he was. And then it's a tricky situation. Are you going to play Carmichael at the back? Are you going to put him off the bench? You know, I don't think he's good at 13. I think Adam Ashley Cooper can be... a you know, a mainstay at 13. Um, but, yeah, there's a there's a few things to work out in that back line for sure. Yeah, I was a bit disappointed with Carmichael and Adam Ashley Cooper in, in this game. They weren't they weren't standing up. They were missing tackles and, and they just didn't look organised in that centre pairing. So that was a bit disappointing because I know we pushed for that. So I guess we can either take that as a, a poor week from two that we think do have the capability to make a good pairing or maybe maybe it's a sign that they're not really up to it. If, if you weren't playing them, if you were putting Beal back to 12, then, yeah, it's it's difficult to see uh, Carmichael coming. I think Carmichael off the bench is probably a better option. I still kind of think it's it, the, it's rooted in the forwards and, and the speed of the play. Like, the, the forwards can get the quick ball, uh, but they look disorganised. They're not supporting each other efficiently. Guys are coming in late from the side. Like, Sokopi Kepu's... Um, had a few sort of discipline issues. He's, he's holding on to players in defence, but he's also coming in the side of rucks in attack. Maybe that's a fitness thing. He's taking shortcuts. You've got to drive those forwards to get quick ball. And then a lot of the issues that the backs are experiencing, I think, are alleviated somewhat. You give them a better platform to attack. And you can see when we go aerial to Falau or we, um, you, you know, the, the, those obvious attacking 
structures which work for the Waratahs. Other times they've got heaps of pressure on them and they try and run a backline move and it all falls apart. Yeah, I think you have issues when you're playing Hannigan in the second row. You've got a lightweight hooker. You've got Kepu out of form. You've got Wells who's a lightweight number eight. You just don't have the go forward there in that forward pack. You know, missing Jed now and making them reshuffle. And then again, as soon as you rest Hooper, I know Will Miller's been serviceable, but it does look like a second string forward pack. Um, and you're right, maybe that has pretty strong implications, ramifications on the back line because they can't operate, they can't go forward. Mm. Um, and when they can't do that, they start running sideways and trying to create things that aren't there. So that They need to be more clinical, particularly like late in the game. The, the Blues held out the last three and a half minutes of this game and the Waratahs couldn't do anything. They didn't look like stealing the ball in the however many phases it was for the Blues to, to hold that out. And, and that's just the precision... And, and the ability to adapt, like we just kept putting a couple of guys on it, they'd go down, no one was no one was getting a nice hard drive through the ruck to set up someone to pilfer, um, no one no one would like, you know, a couple of times they looked like they let the ball runner through and that actually helped get a guy in the backfield isolated. Um, there's just no, there's just no smarts in that in that group and, and I, don't, I think it's, you don't see it in like the Rebels because Genny is there driving it hard, directing those guys when they're tired. I don't think the Warriors yeah, have that. Yeah, they're clinical and they've got their systems working really well and the Tars don't have that. They need yeah. this bye week. They need to work hard on this bye week. Definitely. I mean, we should mention Falau broke the overall try-scoring record up to 60 on his own, so congratulations to that. Foley passed 1,000 Super Rugby points, but it sort of pales in comparison to uh, what we saw the Blues doing and they've stringed together these wins and, like Leo said, Nonu had a really great game almost putting himself back into all-black relevance, some have been arguing. Uh, but it's been in their forwards as well. Some of their second rowers, like Tupulotu and stuff, leading from the front, really getting good go-forward. And it's allowing these guys in the backs uh, to actually get a bit more room and unleash some of their pace, like Rico Iwani, Milani Nanai. Yeah, those two have been particularly good. And um, I'm going to forget his name now, but the, the centre... Um, TJ Fayani? Fayani, yeah, like... A great game, and, and again, name I wasn't particularly familiar with, but the commentators started bringing him up early, and he and he kept performing. He was a good, um, you know, just a quiet achiever, doing his job in the midfield and and helping to link those guys, the Yuanis and the Nanais, to to someone like Nonu on a good game, and you know, things coming together for the Blues, playing strong at home, and and definitely uh, not the not the easy beats this season. No, not at all. Not at all. They're definitely turning a corner and on the up. Um, we mentioned it already before, but the Rebels had the Sunwolves coming to town and they really took them apart, 42-15. to 15, And that's how you should be dealing with the Sunwolves. You don't give them any opportunity. You shut them down early. And it was just a classy performance all round. And people have been calling for maybe the whole Rebels back line should just be the Wallabies back line after that performance. I have a name. I have a name, Arch. Not just people. <laughs> so you you agree? You reckon the whole Rebels backline should just be named for the Wallabies backline? No. <laughs> I I I question if they are playing that well in combination with each other. What do you gain by bringing in? So like you've got someone like Falau who has obvious specialist skills. Uh, compare him to Maddox. Say you put him on the wing and you drop Maddox out. You get a player who's uh, maybe maybe another level better than Maddox in an aerial contest, but is he as good a piece 
in that team? Does he have the combination and, and the familiarity with the players and the trust and understanding, you know, reading their body language when they're going into contact? Oh, he's looking, he's, he's moving around, he's going to offload. Like, they just, they just like they're, like they've got the hive mind going on in the backs now. They're there supporting each other. They're, they're pulling off some, some high risk but high reward plays. And they've all got this really like high intensity about them, which I don't think the other teams are playing with at the moment. Yeah, they're playing with confidence. I think the two guys that probably come to mind that would come into that back line would be still Karevi and Falau, and you need to find positions for them there. But um, apart from that, there's not a whole lot of guys that are, are outshining the, the Rebels in each position. And you know, even a guy like Tom English is really performed well with, for the Rebels over a long period of time now. Mm. Um, and he, he does get overlooked at national level. Um, that may change in this season or the next, but... Um, he is a consistent guy there. He defends well. He can attack. He does most things well. Again, Billy Meeks really standing up in this one. That hit he put on, you know, it's it's been put to the judiciary, but I can't see why it should be um, something he's going to miss some weeks for because I think it was a clean hit. Don't know what you guys think about that. but Yeah, I didn't have a problem with it. I thought it was yeah. fine. Well, they, Big hit. They saw it in the game, and the ref was like, I'm happy with the timing. You can check that. And Timo looked at it in the game. I don't understand why it yeah, can then get like pulled back history. again. Like That's the cleanest hit. I think that they're saying, look, maybe not enough arms in it, but I still mm. think he, he was rapping, and it's just a really well-timed hit. So Billy Meeks um, really focusing on his work for the Rebels this year. He said that last year he was looking too far ahead and looking at Wallabies, and this year he's really focusing on week-to-week, and I think it's paying off. And if you see Quaid get picked there at 10, there is every chance that with Curtly out of form, Billy Meeks could feature at 12 for the Wallabies. And I don't think we'd be unhappy with that. It's just I then who you put be. at 13. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think Maddox is going to be on one wing for the for the Wallabies. And I think that, you know, Reese Hodge again has come back into form. And I know it's only really one strong performance for him, but he's a utility back. He can play at 15. He's that additional ball player that the Wallabies probably need if they're going to play two bigger centres. So, I don't know. There's there's a lot of guys there, and there's more guys to come into that back line. So, how do you fit them all? Yeah, I, I don't want to labour the point, but Meeks, and and I compare like in the, his forwards counterpart, Luke Jones, just focused on doing their job for the Rebels, doing a really great job, being everywhere, showcasing all their different skills. Like, you've got a guy like Luke Jones who's all over the field. He's one of the guys getting back chasing after kicks to cover and provide support. And you've got Meeks doing all this pilfering, like the work of a loose forward. Like, they're just they're just putting their hands up. And I don't know how you... Like, how, how do you fit in DHP and Tamua? The the only guys that we think are maybe a little bit weak are the front row. So you're going to have to pack them down as props to get them into this 15. Like, how do you drop anyone out of this back line? Mm. You hey, can't. Very hard. What you do you can't. think of and... this as a comparison? Billy Meeks and Ryan Crotty. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. I, I think like they've him. got... They've got those all-round skill set. Mm. They, they're they smart players. They make good decisions. Consistent. Like, Bill, Billy Meeks was, even for the force, I remember a couple of years ago, he was really shining through. And then after a, two or three weeks of really good performances, he'd drop off. Mm. And he hasn't done that this year. So he's bringing consistency. And that's something that Ryan Crotty always does. He's always what, in the game. So, What do you think of uh, Tom English being a poor man's Jack Goodhue? Yeah, well, I wouldn't say that's a bad shout either. I mean, English has been around for a lot longer, and 
I've always rated English, but I think he just hasn't had the opportunities there. And with guys like TK and Samu Karevi, mm. that perhaps a little bit more, they they've got a little bit more size. firepower. Mm. See, I know, see, I yeah, think English that. is a massive guy. He's 100 yeah. kilos. He's six foot three. Like, he, he's got everything. I'd, Those he's got guys the looks, stand mate. Out. He's, got, he's got the leadership. He's got they the attacking player the defensive. Karevi yeah. and TK, like, you see them in a game and they'll blow through the line and just you know, guys skilling all over the place and you think, wow, you got to fit that guy in. But as part of a unit, as part of a, a combination and, and like a having that familiarity with the players around you, exactly like the, the crotty good hue combination, you've got Meeks and, and English who seem to play really well off each other and I reckon they're playing outside the 9-10 for the mm. Wallabies. I think I think Genia and Quaid are going to be the form guys and if they keep this up... I, if if they pick Foley over Quaid and and Genia, I'll be I'll be upset. I'll be angry. They're not going to pick English, but I wish that they would give him an opportunity, even if it was like against the the Pumas or something. You know, yeah. just throw him out there, give him a go. He hasn't ever had that opportunity to really show what he's got at national level. So. I think he deserves an opportunity. I'm not sure he'll get it, but I think he definitely deserves it. I've believed in English ever since he ran over the top of me playing for the Waverley first 15 back in year 12. So I, I know <laughs> firsthand that he's a very, very strong ball runner and he's a good player. He's a big player. unit. He is. Yeah. I'm sure that moment's on his resume, Arch. Yeah, well, bowled it should over be. The, bowled over the, the host of the Running Rugby podcast. Exactly. Just the same way that Michael Hooper's team got beaten by... Um, by one of the members of the Running Rugby podcast as well. Thank you very much. <laughs> and um, Luke Jones' team, we think. And Luke Jones' team, exactly. Scotty CO. I can't remember. No, we beat Trinity, Trinity. too. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was a good year. It was a good year. Taking a lot I of think, caps um, from the Wallabies. I think, yeah, look, big shout out to Tom English. He's the most cap rebel now. Um, he's, I think, almost try for try with Reese Hodge for the leading try scorer for the Rebels as well. So... Um, a really good servant to to Melbourne rugby, and I think yeah, he does deserve his opportunity. Mm. Definitely. Let's go to the last game of the round, and it was the Bulls versus Haguaros. And uh, as I said earlier, with the play of the round, the Bulls were up early in this. Uh, a little bit of an under strength Bulls team, just from the pure fact they didn't have Andre Pollard leading them around. They had Marnie Leboc, um still kicking locks of penalties, keeping to the Bulls game plan. But when you're up by 10 points with only eight minutes to go. You didn't normally expect to be able to pull out a win, but as we said, some late late game heroics there and the Haguaris maybe uh, jump-started their season again. Yeah, this hurts me because, again, I was all over the Bulls and they, they had this they had this win. And I got really, I got a little bit antsy when I saw that Andre Pollard and Jesse Creel weren't there and I was thinking, oh, is this going to be that, that B-string team, but maybe they're at home, they'll be okay. They've let it go in the last, and, and I guess it's going to be hard to look to, to assess this team when they've got all the numbers. Are they more clinical? Will they finish the game properly? Will this game act as a as a lesson and a, and a focal point for the rest of the season that, you know, you had the chance to knock these guys over at home with a sub-strength team well, and you couldn't it, do it? Is it like a bit of a downside of the tactics the Bulls employ of kicking lots of penalty goals and going up in threes rather than pushing for tries and maybe getting a few more seven-pointers. I mean, they've scored the second least amount of tries in this competition. But it's it's a combination with defence as well. And, and they were up by 10 with eight minutes to go. Like, yeah, they could have been up by a few more. But if you're going to concede 
two tries and potentially two converted tries in the last 10 minutes. There's a lot of teams that wouldn't have um, won their games this weekend with, with you know, potentially giving up 10 to 14 points. They, they wouldn't have had that winning margin already. So I think it's a defensive and a, and a finishing issue. I, I think the Bulls' game plan has been working. Pollard's been kicking all the penalties really reliably and just accumulating gradually, and they hold out the high-scoring teams. Yeah, I'm sure they'd be very disappointed. You know, they would have thought with 10 to go, look, we've got this one. We haven't had to play two of our best guys from the back line. Um, but look, it came back to buy them in the end, I think. If you had your full-strength team there, you would have won that game. But this is what we're seeing with the World Cup this year. People are resting guys more readily in teams, and it's just a factor of this season. But yeah, look, I, I wasn't bold enough to pick the Hags in this game in South Africa. Um, I thought I'd take the safe pick with the Bulls because I knew you guys would go the Bulls, so... It came back to bite all of us, but um, mm. you know, there there are some really interesting decisions to be made in tipping this year with so many players being rested. It does really make things a bit more hard to read, I think. Yeah, it's been it's been really difficult every week. Just brings more and more challenges, I think. Uh, speaking of tipping, we should get into the next round, and this is round nine now. Uh, we're really getting into the meat of the season. Uh, three teams on by this weekend: the Hurricanes, the Waratahs, and the Sunwolves. Uh, but we start off on Friday night, and it's the Crusaders taking on the Highlanders in Christchurch. Yeah, give me the Crusaders. I think they're going to continue to roll on. Highlanders will have to make some adjustments um, with some injuries, I think, to the Barracuda and also Marty Banks there at 10. So they're going to have to reshuffle things a little bit. And I think this is the obviously the Southern Classic. It's going to be a big game, but Crusaders at home should get it done pretty easily, I think. I agree. I, I think the Crusaders will have it. Obviously, the previous Crusaders-Highlanders game was the one that was called off in the wake of the Christchurch shooting. So the only time these two teams are going to face each other in the regular season this year, and it's going to be a, a hot one, but Highlanders with, with too much to too much to do with injuries and, and coming up against the form team. Yeah, easy pick for the Saders for me. Uh, the next one is Rebels on Friday night and the Stormers, their last game of this tour, and that's down in Amy Park in Melbourne. And I'm, I'm sticking with the Rebels. Strong performance last week, not taking any risks, not taking anything for granted against the Sunwolves. And they're facing a, a touring Stormers who haven't had any luck, but will be fired up for the last last match of the tour. Uh, assuming they don't go and rest half their team, I think the Rebels will do this pretty easily. Yeah, I've got to agree. I think the Rebels are on a roll now. It, it, it'd be silly to try and tip against a team that's this on form, that's managed to put itself so far um, up above, sort of, in their conference already. I mean, they're 23 points to the Waratahs, who are second with 16. So even if they do drop this one, but I, um, they'll still be in front, but I don't expect them to. Yeah, you've just got to hope they don't take their off the ball like they did last season when they had such a good start to, to the year. So, um, look, I, I can't see them dropping this game to the Stormers. I think the Stormers are a pretty solid opposition. There'll be no complacency here. And the Rebels have been lucky enough not to be carrying too many injuries. So... I think they're going to put out a pretty similar lineup to, to last weekend, and I expect them to score plenty of points and get this one done. The next game on Saturday afternoon, and it's the Chiefs team has had a, team, a week off since their tour, but they're versing a Blues team that is absolutely red hot here. So, what do we think? Chiefs versus the Blues. I mean, I don't actually remember the last time the Blues would have been able to beat the Chiefs, but I'm thinking that. The way they've been playing and the force that which they're gonna, the momentum they're gonna come onto this game with, I reckon they might actually 
go in hard and get momentum early and hold on to it. I reckon I'm going to take the Blues. Yeah, tough one to call this, I think. And Chiefs, I think, would have really liked to have that week off. It would have allowed them to prepare for this game for a couple of weeks after a bit of a tough tour. But I just think the Chiefs still do have the class on the Bulls. Uh, Blues. Sorry, I think if this was at Eden Park, I think that I probably would take the Blues. The fact that it's in Waikato, I expect it to be super close. I think it's going to be entertaining. I think Damian McKenzie is going to take hold of this game and, and make sure the Chiefs get over the line. Yeah, I, I can see this one. Uh, you look at the form and the Blues are hot on form, but they're travelling. The Chiefs have only won two games, coming off a bye. Is it going to be the old fail after a bye when supposedly you've had time to recover and prep and maybe it's all too much time and you, you can't quite get your energy up? But I am going to go with the Chiefs. I think um, recent history, aside from the Blues, uh, recent home history, I think the Chiefs will have the mental edge on the Blues and they do have a solid team when they're all fit. Ooh, so a little bit of controversy here. And I think the next game probably is going to be another tough one to tip. Brumbies versus Lions from GIO Stadium on Saturday night. Yeah, hopefully the Brumbies have a full-strength lineup for this one. Does anyone know when David Pocock's back? Because it seems like he hasn't been around for a while now training or anything. So I, I don't know what the news is on that. No one seems to be able to give a clear sort of message. It just keeps being this niggling calf injury. Um, but yeah. it doesn't. They said they expected him back weeks ago, but they're obviously not quite happy with where he's at. Yeah, I think. Look, they still do have the Fords there. I think that can dominate this Lions pack um, that have lost some key guys the last year or two. Um, I think playing in Canberra, they'll take a lot, a lot away from their performance in the first half against the the Crusaders last week. I think they can come into this game and and really fire up and and you know cause the Lions a bit more pain for this season. Yeah, if the Brumbies can bring what they what they did last week, all the good things, and, and come home and play a, a Lions team who's going to be stinging, uh, I, I think the Brumbies can do this. The, they still have that strong forward game. They can nullify the Lions' attack. Uh, they don't need too much out of the backs to, to do what they need to do. They just need to be steady and, and not give up too much ball, too many turnovers. So I'm going to stick with the Brumbies, but... Lions always dangerous. They're they're four from seven to the Brumbies two from seven. So they're they're a stronger team on paper, but travelling to Australia, I think the Brumbies will be happy at home. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to have to wait for the team lineup to make my final decision here. Um, it it just depends on what team the Brumbies sort of line up to face these guys. Whether they do bring a few people back in, whether they do have people like Falafang and Roy, Rory Arnold back starting in here. Or even Pocock, I think that would definitely put me over the top. But otherwise, um, I'm real tempted to think the Lions might come into town. And it's it's just the sort of game that they come in and they win it. Uh, even against the odds in Canberra, they'll suddenly be able to score 40, 50 points. The second last game of the round, and that's the Sharks versus the Hagiwaros, and that's out at Durban. And two teams coming off victories last week. Um, but Sharks at home, you'd think, potentially will have this. Yeah, especially off such a confidence-boosting win last week like they've, they've gone to uh the high belt and and taken out the lions they they're now at home and they've seen the haguaras uh surprise uh a complacent bulls team at the at the death so all the all the things that the haguaras could bring that bit of surprise and flair and and the sharks probably not going to have any of this i think they'll be strong at home and um uh, enjoying the momentum that last week's brought them um, yeah, I think, look, I'm looking for an improved kicking performance from Robert Dupre here, but I think the Sharks have a lot of points in them. 
Jaguares tend to leak points on the road. And I don't know. I think, yeah, like we've talked about with the Jaguares winning last week, I think that's actually flagged this as a game that the Sharks need to worry about and that will hopefully avoid any sort of complacency here or inconsistency from a Sharks team that can be a bit up and down. So looking for their backs to fire up again and I think the Sharks will take this one. And that brings us to the second last game of the round, and that's the Bulls taking on the Reds, and the Reds going on tour. Um, that's in Pretoria, kicking off at about 1.15am on Sunday morning. Um, and, look, you'd think the Bulls are probably going to pull back in someone like Andre Pollard, Jesse Creel, after having a game off. Um, the Reds, though, promising on the weekend. You think winning in South Africa is a bit of a different prospect, so got to have to take the Bulls. Yeah, great, Arch. I think winning at Loftus is probably a bridge too far for the Reds at this point. Um, yeah, I think Andre Pollard's going to be keen to to get the Bulls back on track, I think. So look for them with a strong performance this week, and the Reds, I don't think, can do enough to get the victory. Yeah, we're sweeping this one, boys. The Bulls at home against the touring Australian team. Uh, very few wins for Australian teams visiting Pretoria, so I'll take the Bulls as well. So that's all for Super Rugby. Uh, we should just do a quick update on Rapid Rugby, but what we might do is leave it till after this week, till next week, where we've actually seen the Asia-Pacific Dragons. So the Western Force took down the South China Tigers uh, two weeks ago on Friday. Um, they've had a week off, and now they're versing the Asia-Pacific Dragons this Friday. So we'll get our first look at both these new teams, and then maybe next week be able to deconstruct it a little bit more and see see what Rapid Rugby really has in store for us. Just quickly, I'm not keen on that name, Asia Pacific Dragons out of Singapore. Like, how general do you want to be with your naming? Pretty much covering the whole of a continent and into the Pacific. Like, I think they could be, do a little better with their branding there. Yeah. Well, I had to ask. I had to ask which team this was, and I assumed it was the Singapore team. But like you said, it's, that's not a good start. You, you want to be clear on where you're from and... Even South China. Who you're representing. They're they're two quite general team names. But, I mean, it depends whether you want to build them as um, coming from a specific place or whether you're just embracing the sort of entertainment side of it and then they're not going to have the same sort of hometown connections or, like, hometown players. It's just going to be um, teams brought in of uh, entertaining players. Yeah. Yeah, Possibly. it's, It's... yeah. Is, is it where they're based, like where, where the team's based and where they play, or is it the region they're hoping to, you know, Bring represent? Something. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess if, if you look at it that way, just they play in Singapore. They'll probably always play in Singapore. Uh, if they wanted to play in other places, then yeah, maybe it's a maybe it's like saying the New South Wales Waratahs rather than the Sydney Waratahs. Yeah, and you might even see them tweak the names next year once the competitions fully up and running, um, they might still be considering their, their branding options. Exactly. But we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more in depth next week. Uh, obviously, that'll be the first sort of half of that Asia-Pacific showcase before the second leg starts off. Um, other than that, guys, I don't think there's anything else we need to cover. Any, any other news in your guys' lives? Not too much, mate. I think um, not this weekend, but the following weekend, I believe, you've still got the Heineken... Champions Cup going on. Um, so you got, I think, Munster taking on Saracens, I believe. And then you've got Leinster taking on Toulouse. Um, so a few big games coming up in Europe as well. So plenty to watch on the rugby front across all continents. Exciting. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've also, I've also actually, I've got some news. I've adopted Munster as my my new team out of the Pro 14. I've dumped Ospreys and I'm on Munster. Why? Why Munster? Whoa. I'm just sick. Of, like I've I've looked at our more successful. I've looked at Mum's maiden name, McCartney. Comes out of Munster. Um, I'm happy with that. I think Ospreys. Just with Welsh rugby at the moment, domestically, it hasn't. They're not actually tying themselves to a specific region, really. It's a bit mixed up, and mm. they've been struggling overall. So I think Munster with the history, um, we've been down through Limerick together, played together <laughs> yeah. again for a game, and their rivalry with Leinster is just unsurpassed at the moment. So, um, yeah, I just thought, got to get on it. Really like the European jersey, and hopefully they can smash Saracens for me. <laughs> All right, let's get behind Munster. Yeah, they... They have con- um, said that the Leinster-Munster rivalries really is what brought Irish, Irish rugby back into um, a bit of a more of a powerhouse in recent times. But that's probably all we need to cover for this week. Guys, remember to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher. We're on all major platforms there. And keep up with us on Instagram at The Running Rugby Podcast as well as on Twitter for all those late uh, game updates and team announcements. This will be another interesting weekend, boys. We're getting... We're almost halfway through the season now, so this playoff race is really starting to heat up and some teams are really going to live or die on the results of these next few weeks. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the conference derbies uh, impact that. You see some teams getting ahead, but if they can, uh, if their rivals in their conference can upset them, there's a chance to leapfrog and, and take the conference, particularly in the South African conference. Exactly, but I'm sure we'll get a lot of those tips wrong, but hopefully we'll get a few of them right as well. Until next week, keep on running. Run. My tipping has been a debacle. Like, seven is the best score I've had. Sorry, five out of seven is the best score I've had. You picked too early. That's you were so like, sad. I'm so good at fucking big. And then you were like, oh shit, it's really hard. <laughs>